Yeah, I'll be honest, today's kind of a, today's sermon has felt a little bit more like work. And I don't mean for me, uh, it's always work for me, but I mean uh, for, for everybody. So uh, it's a little, this is some serious stuff we're getting into when we talk about forgiving ourselves. So would y'all just uh, pause with me for a second and let, let's pray together. God, I just stop to thank you for every single soul that found their way into this room, for those that are watching online as well. For everyone that has access today to the teaching that your son Jesus came to give us, the true nature and function of forgiveness, the reach of your grace, God, I pray that we would be swept up in it, that it would uh, catch us by surprise, and that we would be left with nothing but feelings of awe and wonder and gratitude at the miracle that is forgiveness, the miracle we often take most for granted. So open our minds and our hearts to some new understandings today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, y'all, y'all have your study guides, um, but you also have a little sheet of paper, a little weird-looking sheet of paper that, uh, that you'll need a little bit later. So um, building the intrigue in the room here. Um, hang on to that sheet of paper. If you've ever been to church camp, you know exactly what's going to happen with that sheet of paper. <laughs> After a while, not to bury the lead here, but, uh, but hang on to that sheet of paper and, and uh, get your study guides out as well. This is uh, week two of a sermon series called Weightless. And uh, this is a, a conversation about forgiveness. And forgiveness is a topic that touches us all. Um, they are more and more um, realizing... Um, medical profession and, and science is starting to realize more and more the relationship between forgiveness and health, physical health, not just mental health, but when we receive forgiveness, when we know we've been forgiven, forgiven we don't deal with daily crippling guilt. And when we're quick to forgive others, we don't hold on to resentment and grudges. We live healthier, fuller lives. So this is something that all of us need to get our heads around, but truly, um, real forgiveness is not what it seems to be in popular culture. So in popular culture, forgiveness seems to be more of a feeling. It's an emotion. Well, I forgive you. I, I will let it go. And, and you know, what's, uh, what's forgiven, forget. It's done. What's done is done. Um, that's not how forgiveness actually works especially not for those of us here who are trying to follow Jesus. I know not everybody here has decided what to do with God or with Jesus yet, and we're a church for skeptics, and so you're welcome if you're not clear about that stuff yet. But if you are following Jesus, then you, you have to look at forgiveness differently than popular culture does. You look at forgiveness differently than, you know, the daytime talk shows do. It's not about forgetting. In, in our worldview, forgive and forget doesn't make sense at all. It's, that's... That's just stupidity, to forgive and forget. No, because then you'll make the same mistakes and you'll let others make the same mistakes. That's enabling to forgive and forget. So there's something else going on here. How does forgiveness really work? What's the mechanics of forgiveness? When you forgive somebody, what really goes on? What's the exchange there? And how do we understand this um, better? So throughout this series, we're gonna talk about how for Christians, to forgive someone is not a feeling. To forgive someone is a payment. It is a payment. It is economic. It is to pay a debt that was not yours to pay. It's to pay a debt that was owed to you by somebody else. And we know that's how it works. Even those of us that are secular-minded, those of us that are skeptics about religion, we still know that's how sin and forgiveness work because whenever we don't want to forgive somebody, we say things like, we're going to make them pay. 
You'll pay for this. You know, we know there's an economic thing going on here, um, whether or not we consider ourselves, you know, quote unquote, religious people. And so Christians definitely look at it as though damages are owed. And when you forgive someone for what they owed you, um, that's, that's forgiveness. You absorb the debt. But that means you have to pay it. It doesn't just go away. Canceling a debt, writing off a debt doesn't just make it go away. It's still there. You have to deal with it to set someone else free. And the question for today then is, what if it's you that needs forgiveness? Especially what if you can't forgive yourself? This is a touchy topic. I think this probably, all of us, the more we sat in silence and reflected, we would come up with stuff that we haven't really let go of. Stuff we still feel bad about. Even if it's been years even if maybe others have moved on, we can't forgive ourselves. And, and this seems to be a, a big deal for all of us. Uh, last week, I emailed a, a select group of people that I wanted to hear from specifically about this. And I asked them the question, I said, could you please just tell me one thing that you know or you feel that you will always regret so I didn't want to say one thing you, you, know, you can never be forgiven for, you can never forgive yourself for. I wanted to phrase it a little differently to get us thinking. What's one thing you feel like you're going to always regret? And that's a weird email to get randomly from your pastor. So not everybody responded, obviously, but a few did. And some of them said some really meaningful things, like painful things. One, one young woman said, I will always regret not marrying my college sweetheart. Because I'm 30-something and I'm still single and, and I see him on social media and he's handsomer than ever and he's happy with his wife and their kids. I wish I had said yes and I will always regret. Do you hear the unforgiveness? Can you imagine what dark places that takes her when she's alone and feeling vulnerable? Those are some other responses. One guy said, I'll always regret not going for it. And I don't know what that means, but it sounds very serious. And I couldn't be like, yeah, you should have gone for it. Because I don't know what it was. You know, it could have been anything. But, but he's, uh, he's regretting it. And I think that is uh, a sign of unforgiveness in his, in his life that he's taken very seriously. There's another guy who kind of took my breath away uh, with his response. He said he was in the South Tower on 9-11. He will always regret the fact that he escaped without helping others escape too. Can you imagine? How do you ever get over that? How do you ever get over something like that? But you know, we've all got something like that. Maybe not as dramatic as that, maybe not a 9-11 story, but you've all got something that if you sat and thought for long enough, you might say to yourself, I'm never going to get over this. I'll never get past this. You know, I'll never live this down or forgive myself. Here's the thing, though, and this really caught me by surprise. In um, my preparation for the series, I searched the scriptures for every verse in the Bible about forgiveness. And there are hundreds, as you might imagine. But do you know how many verses in the Bible there are about forgiving yourself? Anybody want to guess? Zero. Isn't that weird? I mean, this is a topic that's on all of our minds. If you go to Barnes and Noble after the service and search in the self-help section of, or even the, the Christian living section of the bookstore, everything's going to be about forgiving yourself. This is how you forgive yourself. This is how you, you know, let yourself off the hook. This is how you move on from something that you 
did, but in the Bible, there's nothing really about forgiving yourself. And I think that's because in a more classical, biblical sense, the idea of forgiving yourself is not really a thing. And I know I'm going to confuse some people and maybe turn some people off because it's become such a part of our cultural vernacular that we have to forgive ourselves and move on from the shame. But listen, biblically speaking, from the Christian perspective, there's really no such thing as forgiving yourself. Because, as I said before, it's a debt that is owed. And unless you're running some kind of a spiritual Ponzi scheme, you know, you can't really be indebted to yourself. It's impossible. You're indebted to someone else. So you're indebted to God or you're indebted to someone that you've hurt or both, some combination of the two. And so the forgiveness that you seek is really outside of you, but there's still work to be done to to pursue that, right? But it's not up to you to forgive yourself, Okay? If you're sitting here thinking, but I have so much that I'm guilty for, I have so much regret in my life, I, I still feel the need to forgive myself, there's probably one of at least four things that's going on with you that's not really the need to forgive yourself, it's something else. Like, m- most likely, you just haven't, for whatever reason, really absorbed or trusted the forgiveness of God yet. So uh, the Bible says that it, God forgives all of us freely. Universally offers forgiveness to every one of us if we want it. And so someone who doesn't absorb or believe in the forgiveness of God for, for yourself, that's usually going to be somebody that just doesn't believe in God, and that's cool. Like, there's people here that don't believe in God. That's fine. I'm glad you're here, and you're working this out. And I'm, Kudos for coming to a church on a Sunday if you're, if you're not sure about God or Jesus. Or it could mean that you do believe in God or Jesus, but you just don't believe there's any way that a God of love could love you. Like, God's love is for other people. God's forgiveness is for everybody but me, right? That kind of thing. Because you just feel so bad about something that you did or didn't do that you can't imagine it being for you. So that's the first thing that can be going on if you feel the need to forgive yourself. The second thing that could be going on here is, uh, is this idea of contrition. Uh, making amends, as you would say in recovery. Right, so going and seeking out someone that you've hurt. If it's God that you need forgiveness from, then, then confessing your sins to God. Like, it's always confusing to people. Why, if God has already forgiven our sins, why do we need to confess it? Why does God want to hear it from us? There's just a kind of honesty, a kind of vulnerability that comes from confession. The same is true in our human relationships. If there's somebody out there that you've hurt, and you just, instead of addressing it head on, you have just decided to not deal with it because they're hard to deal with, or you don't really want them to know that you're sorry, but you're sorry in your heart. You don't want them to know you're sorry, which probably means you're not really sorry. You know, that that kind of thing that goes on in all of our lives, whether it's with an ex, you know, an ex-spouse after a divorce or estranged family members or former friends. Like, it's, I think it's incumbent on us if we really want to know the fullness of God's forgiveness to seek out those that we have maybe hurt and say, we're sorry. And they may not accept it, but at least you have let your heart be known. Um, and, and seeking that out is important. The alternative to that is basically just sweeping the debt that is owed under some rug. And sometimes we do that. If you're of uh, European descent, like myself, uh, we get really, really good at this. Our families are really, really good at this, especially German families like mine. Like the passive aggressive thing is like our love language. Like we just, we dig it. And so we will sweep it under the rug and act like it's gone, like it's not even there. But when you sweep a mess under the rug, does it go away? No, of course it doesn't go away. It's still there. 
And the more you sweep under the rug, the lumpier your rug gets. And every time you walk over the rug, you're falling down, tripping over the messes that you've swept under the rug. Y'all following me? I'm not talking about a real rug here. Y'all with me? All right. It's a metaphor. Okay. So, <laughs> all right. Uh, so that's what happens uh, to us when we try to pretend like um, nothing really happened. That's the forgive and forget thing, which is, which is ludicrous. The third thing that could be going on if you feel like you can't forgive yourself is that, frankly, uh, not to <laughs> make you feel worse, you probably just haven't stopped doing what you feel bad about. If you're still living it, if you're still doing it, repeating the same mistakes, doing the same sins over and over again, it's really hard to be forgiven, to feel forgiven for those things until you've dealt with that pattern, right? And I don't mean this as judgmental as it sounds when preachers say things like this. It sounds very Pharisaic of us, um, but I'm there too in many ways. And so I think sometimes searching our hearts and being honest about the stuff we're in. Here's the trouble with, with this point is that the longer you keep doing the same thing you used to feel bad about, the less bad you feel about it, the more you justify. And before long, you just think, well, God doesn't mind this. If he did, he would have struck me down long ago, you know. God doesn't mind this. It just helps me get through the day, you know. God, doesn't, God understands the stress I'm under. It doesn't matter, matter if I do this. Whereas before it brought up feelings of guilt and repentance, now it no longer does. You've got to deal with those things when they present themselves. And fourth and finally, um, if you feel like uh, you can't forgive yourself, there, there just could be some deeper issues going on that go back further than, than I'm qualified to deal with, with a sermon especially. And you might need to seek out a multi-layered approach to some kind of longer-term healing. And we encourage um, therapy at the story. We encourage community, intentional community, small group involvement and, and friendships. And, and it's a core value of ours to make Help people make friends that, that uh, build that support system because when you're in that mindset for long enough, what eventually happens is something like a Stockholm syndrome. You know what that is? Like where you've been taken hostage and uh, you start to have feelings for the people that took you hostage. You start to become, feel, uh, you know, sympathetic toward those who took you hostage. Uh, it's this thing that they've been studying for some time now. And, and the Bible seems to say the same thing about us, but our hostage taker is sin or evil or darkness. And, and over time, we develop feelings for it and we uh, stay in it. And those issues just compound. And even though the chains of our slavery were broken long ago, we continue to live as slaves because we don't know any other way. It happens all the time. Jesus teaches about forgiveness in some ways that I think are revolutionary, even for Christians, because I don't think many of us really understand Jesus' approach to forgiveness. He does this in Matthew chapter 9, uh, verses 1 through 8. And I invite you to, if you have a Bible, a Bible app, you can open that and become more familiar with your own Bible. I love that. Or uh, if you don't have a Bible, Take one uh, on your way out as a free gift from us in the Connect table. Um, also, you've got your study guides. This passage will be in the study guides and on the screens. Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 through 8. <clears throat> Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. And knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat, and go home. Then the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God who had given such authority to man. 
So a couple things are happening here. First of all, I need you to know that the men who brought their friend on a mat to Jesus had no intention to have his sins forgiven that day. They couldn't care less whether that friend of theirs sins were forgiven. All they wanted was for their friend to get up and walk again because he's paralyzed. And they heard this man did miracles and the miracles were the thing for them. So they brought Jesus to perform, a, they brought him to Jesus to perform a miracle so they could see Jesus tell their friend to get up and walk. And so you can imagine their surprise, their disappointment even when Jesus says, oh, thank you for bringing me your friend. I see your faith. Your sins are forgiven, my son. And they're like, what else you got? Because... Uh, <laughs> It was a long walk, and he's, he's heavy, and uh, we didn't come here for that. That kind of disappointment, when our expectations are misguided, can really lead us further astray, and it happens a lot um, to Christians, actually. We come to Jesus thinking that it's going to mean everything gets better, everything gets easier, and then it doesn't. So who's Jesus, and who are we? What do we believe? Those expectations can mean everything. Like I went to an Astros baseball game yesterday, Astros and Rangers, and we had uh, amazing seats. My family and I were given amazing seats. And uh, so amazing, in fact, that my son was allowed, was able to talk to future Hall of Famer, Rangers third baseman, Adrian Beltre, during the game. And my son said, Adrian Beltre, Adrian Beltre, I love you, Adrian Beltre. And Adrian Beltre turned around and, and, uh, and, and said, uh, you know, my son asked for an autograph, and he said, I can't do it during the game but I'll, I'll come and see you after the game. And so after the game, man, even though we lost, we were excited. I was super excited. He was kind of excited. My son, eight years old, right? But I was stoked, future Hall of Famer. Adrian Beltre is gonna come back out on the field and sign a baseball for us. But the seconds turned into minutes. And then the minutes turned into 20, 25, almost 30 minutes. And there we were, no Adrian Beltre. Instead, Mr. Beltre sent out the ball boy. Uh, with a batting practice ball that had no autograph on it. And he said Mr. Beltre had to go, but he wanted you to have this instead. And I looked at that batting practice ball, and I just wanted to throw it onto the field and protest. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's not what I came here for. And there was just tears and crying. It was like, you know, that was just me. My son was also, <laughs> he was also a little upset, but not, not like me. I'll tell you what, man, it almost ruined the whole day. It almost ruined the whole day because, uh, because I was so excited for my son to have this memory because I am so intent on being a more spectacular father than my father was. My father's great, but man, I'm out fathering him front row seats to the Astros game and we're going to get an Adrian Beltre signed baseball and it didn't happen. But listen, I was on the front row of a major league baseball game for the world champion Houston Astros with my eight-year-old son. Isn't that enough? Like, isn't that awesome? In and of itself, even if we had gotten that autograph, wouldn't us being together at a baseball game, healthy and happy, like, wouldn't that have been the better thing? See, sometimes I think we confuse the big things with the little things. Sometimes we confuse really important things with the unimportant things. Like this week, you know, I got a little more upset about unimportant things like, you know, my fantasy draft not going like I wanted it to. And, and yet, you know, some really awful things happened in the news and it barely even affected me. You know what I mean? So it's really easy for us to confuse really important stuff with unimportant stuff. And Jesus, when he asked the question, which is easier, to forgive someone's sins or to heal them and make them walk again? Which is easier? 
everybody, myself included, but definitely everybody there would have said, it's definitely easier to forgive sins. Because the minute you tell a guy to get up and walk again because he's healed, you got to prove it. He better get up and walk, man. You forgive somebody's sins, that's just religion. You know, that's just piety. Whatever. What Jesus is saying here is that forgiveness is harder than fixing someone. Saying that in spite of what we might have heard, although it would appear that healing someone is harder than forgiving them, forgiveness is the greater miracle. Forgiveness might be the greatest miracle Jesus ever worked. Listen. Forgiving people is better than fixing them. Jesus obviously worked a lot of miracles. I'm not saying he didn't work a lot of miracles. But it's very clear in the Gospels, you guys, Jesus did not want to be known for his miracles. Half the people that he healed, he said, don't tell anybody. Whatever you do, don't tell anybody. Which is, sounds crazy. If I had those powers, I'd be like, yeah, go tell everybody. This is my card. And you can find me on Facebook or whatever. Like, he's like, don't tell a soul. And At times, his crowds would grow large because of the miracles that he worked. And it's at those times that he would stop working miracles and then he would start preaching the gospel. Sometimes the crowds got unruly and grew too large to preach the gospel. And so Jesus would slip out the back door and escape to the hills. And Peter and the other disciples are like, you you gotta be kidding me. You gotta get back here. We're on our way. We're famous. And Jesus is like, that's not why I came. I didn't come to be famous. I didn't come to be some, you know, Faith healing, snake oil salesman, town to town, collecting old widow's money because, you know, whatever miracles I work. Jesus did not come to do that in spite of what you might have seen on, you know, Christian Broadcasting Network or whatever. Like, that's not who Jesus is. Jesus came to give us a message. He came to give us a miracle much greater than any physical healing. And we pray and we pray and we pray for physical stuff all the time. We pray and we pray for material stuff all the time. We don't get it. We get upset. God, do you not hear our prayers? And God's saying, I've already forgiven you for everything you've ever done and ever will do. Is it not enough? Forgiveness is the greatest miracle. That's also the one that we take for granted the most. Because the price has been paid for every damage we've done and everything we owe. The question then for people that aren't familiar with the gospel is, how does that price get paid? Well, historically, before Jesus, for centuries before Jesus, people would pay their sin debt with blood, with the blood of animals, because it was believed that nothing was more valuable or sacred on earth than blood, the stuff of life. And so Jesus takes on that tradition. But for Christians, he ends it. And this is why we don't offer sacrifices like they did in Old Testament times. Jesus says, I will pour out my own blood. In in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, he says, I have come not to be served, but to serve and to offer my life as a ransom. And there's that word again, ransom, for hostages that have been taken into custody. My life will be a ransom, my blood will be poured out. And the question then is, what would it cost? If that's true, then what would it possibly cost to pick up the tab for the damages owed by all of us for all time, for everything we've ever done? What could possibly be sacred or valuable enough to pay such a debt? And the answer is not just blood, but the blood of God poured out on the cross as a sacrifice to end all sacrifices, to set us all free. This 
is a priceless gift, and it's worth more than enough to cancel every debt. As part of this uh, sermon, I really wanted you to hear the story of a, of a man who goes to church here. Many of you will know Ryan. Um, when you see him, he's very involved. Um, some of you know his story to some extent. Um, he told us a story in, in this video about a year ago, and, and uh, many of you I know, most of you have probably not seen it. I wanted you to see story, uh, Ryan's story of his, of, of his struggle with forgiving himself. I think for me, one really important aspect of my faith has been forgiveness and this idea um, that everybody can be forgiven for however they screw up while they're here on this earth in this life. Ryan King was my really close friend that I would say like a brother uh, growing up. We were typical kind of high school kids, uh, so we liked to mess around and play basketball, and we like to play computer games like Civilization, we like to talk about girls, we like to do all kinds of things that, that teenage boys like to do. He was always, um, you know, always happy-go-lucky, always super kind, always had a smile on his face. We were both sophomores in high school, and his family was getting ready to move to the East Coast, so he was going to stay with us for a few months and go meet his family in the summertime after we finished our school year. Pretty innocent story. Is one of the, it was a thing where we got together on a Saturday. Ryan and I and a couple of our friends decided we wanted to go see a movie. And before we went to the movie, we decided we we're going to go to uh, <laughs> we're going to go to a McDonald's because the McDonald's had free refills. Before we went to the movie, we had we had a little extra time, um, so we decided to go joyriding. Basically, we got into a really terrible car accident. Um, I was driving. I ran the car off the road and smashed into a telephone pole. And I came to, and I, you know, I was holding my friend as he was as he was dying. So it was a it was a pretty pretty horrific scene, and uh, something I still think about. I absolutely blame myself for what happened, and uh, I mean, I, I still do. I mean, it's not something where I can change the fact that you know I was in control of this car and that I made a decision to go drive like an idiot um, in a really unsafe way. Um, that's on me. In a lot of ways, it, 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 it took away a lot of my uh, confidence that, that things would just kind of be okay. Um, you know, in, in another way, I think it made me more determined to um, do as much as I could with my life. You know, in a lot of ways, it felt like I've um, had the burden of, of doing things for two people. About a year and a half ago, my wife and I wanted to try out this story, um, and in the course of doing that, I decided, and really she told me, that I was going to uh, participate in a prison ministry. Prison environment creates such a level playing field where every one of us is just a human being. Um, everyone is a child of God, and we all are the same. One of the things we talked about a lot in the prison ministry was forgiveness. And I kind of went through this, this checklist, and I mean, it's, it's in my head, it was in my heart too, but I said, if I'm here telling these guys that, that they're forgiven for, for whatever they have done wrong, and, and if I really believe that they should be forgiven and they are forgiven for what they, they've done wrong, why can't I be forgiven? Why can't I accept that forgiveness for myself? If you, if you really go through and you read 
the Gospels, what I've read, um, I see a lot of people who by our, our standards are doing the wrong things or have done the wrong things and that's okay and that, that's forgiven and um, I don't think we can all freely continue to do the wrong things uh, but I think uh, <laughs> that's part of the plan. We're humans, we're going to screw up. So um, the important thing is how do you, once you have screwed up, get on with it, forgive yourself and try to do the right thing because we're, we're put here for a bigger purpose than to, than to do a lot of the things that have gotten us to where we are right now. When I uh, hear Ryan's story, I can't help obviously just think of some of the ways I resonate with it personally, but, uh, but people in the Bible too, as you mentioned, these New Testament characters that seem to be so salacious and unsavory. It doesn't add up, man, with what we expect church to be like. When you go to church, it looks like the men in church are all like really buttoned down and put together, like they're the good guys. And the women in church are always like really like well-dressed and like happy and everybody's like, they like their kids. And it's just like, it doesn't really, doesn't add up with real life, man. It's, and I will tell you, if you've not been in church for long, you don't know the secret. The secret is they're all faking. Everybody's faking. Everybody in every church, everywhere is faking because the best of us have had the blessing of our eyes being opened by the struggles of life. The best of us have been broken down by the mistakes we've made such that we can't pretend anymore. We can't lie and act like everything's fine because when you're exposed like Ryan was, like I have been, you, you can't lie. So it's all a blessing. And I've, I've heard a common theme from guys like Ryan and, and guys on the inside of prisons with Jubilee Prison Ministries and, and also you know, Casey walking through cancer and myself with my own struggles that I've shared ad nauseum with all of you at times like... The, the common theme is all of it is a blessing. When, when you're broken by life, it takes away the pretense. You can't pretend anymore. And that's a blessing. The apostle Paul, he was a murderer, a killer of Christians. And then Jesus is like, I'm going to need you to uh, lead the church now, Paul. I'm going to need you to, to travel 10,000 miles on foot and plant 14 churches you know, and, and, and so Paul shows up at where the Christians are, and they're like, I don't, I don't, I don't think I'm ready. For, I don't think I'm ready for, for Paul to be in our, in our midst. He's the one that's been killing us. But Paul was the one God called. And Paul, you know, you would think he had a pretty good opinion of himself after his, you know, success leading the church. But this is what he had to say about himself toward the end of his life. In Romans chapter 7, I'm not going to read the whole thing. I just want you to see where he says, law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual. The apostle Paul says, I am unspiritual. I'm not enough. I don't do the stuff I know that I should do. Let's go to the next slide. He says, what a wretched man that I am. And this was after he became a Christian. So Paul is teaching us something here that Ryan has taught us as well, that just because you start to believe in Jesus, just because you become a Christian, doesn't mean all the bad stuff goes away. Don't have your expectations calibrated that way because the past will still creep up on you. The pain will still find a way to revisit you. The, the guilt and the doubts, they will still come into your purview. 
And, and so the walk of faith with Jesus isn't, I'm all in and all the bad stuff is gone. It's more like a two steps forward, one step back, and two steps forward and one step back. And every time you take the step back or every time you trip over that lumpy rug and you fall on your face, you ask Jesus to rescue you again, and he does again and again. So like Paul, like Ryan, I carry stuff today that I still haven't let go of. The funeral that I officiated for my aunt this week brought a lot of it back to the surface. Stuff that I've said to people that I love. Stuff that I didn't say to people that I love in time before they were gone. Regrets, man. When, when you're a pastor, you have extra guilt all the time. You would think we would learn to deal with this, but we just help you all deal with yours. And <laughs> we are hypocritical about it because every night, every text I don't respond to just eats me alive inside. You know, like somebody's going to bed tonight thinking their pastor doesn't love them. You know, that kind of stuff like eats me. Up. There was a time when I first began as a pastor when I was just 20 or 21 years old. And there was a, a woman whose fiance called us. Gio and I were up late studying for finals. It was like one in the morning. And, uh, and they called us and said, he said, I, I don't know where she is. I'm afraid she's going to go and do something and harm herself. He said, I'm afraid she'll hurt herself. And my response to my shame today, my response was, let's talk in the morning. And deep down, I was thinking, I got... I'm so behind on this final stuff, and she's probably going to be fine. I was 20 or 21 years old, so y'all, I wasn't real rational yet. But in, in the morning, I got the call that everybody knows what I heard that morning, that she had taken her life. Do you know how long I'll carry that? I mean, it's caused me to probably overreact every time I hear someone uh, who's in trouble now. But, man, that's just, I carry that guilt with me. I carry that shame with me and the enemy will use it against me from time to time to tell me that I'm not really who God says I am. We've all got things like this and, and in a minute I'm just, I'm gonna ask you to be honest with yourself, with God. It's nobody else needs to be a part of this, just you and God and be honest and dig deep and find something that has been holding you back, giving you doubts, you're worried about being found out or you're worried about what the truth would mean to your reputation and today we're going to talk about letting that thing go. Not sweep under the rug, not forgive and forget, but letting go of the power that it's held over you. That's what those little sheets of paper are for. We want you, our worship team has, has worked hard to, to make this meaningful, memorable for you, we hope. We want you to write a word or a phrase that symbolizes one thing that has been a burden to you. And after a minute, during a song that's about to play, we will come forward and, and one at a time at one of the 12 bowls that's on the stage right here, they're full of water and you can put your sheet of paper in the water and you can stir it with one of the little sticks and watch it evaporate, disappear for your eyes as a symbol of God's eternal rescuing grace. So whatever that is, if you're like me and you struggle with anger a little bit, you struggle with impatience, maybe your temper gets away from you at times, maybe you wish you hadn't raised your voice to your kids today, maybe you wish you had done something differently today, maybe it's just a pattern. When you're behind the wheel, you become a different person, like you become the Hulk version of yourself. When you're behind the wheel in Houston, maybe you've been unfaithful to your spouse, write that 
down, be honest. You know, maybe you've not been the person you know you were created to be and you've been blaming other people instead of being honest about yourself. Maybe you've been too judgmental. Maybe you've been too dependent on alcohol or some other substance to get you through a stressful day. Look, be honest. Let the confession moment we're about to have be the beginning of some healing. Write it down. And in a minute during the song, you can come forward and leave it here and let it go. Listen, whatever it is, God has already forgiven it. Whatever it is that you're going to write down on that piece of paper, God already forgave it because his forgiveness is the greatest miracle and the only miracle you will ever need. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was worth infinitely more than whatever debt you owe. Whether or not you're living free, you're already free. Let's go to God in prayer. God, help us to believe this and to internalize and absorb this today for truly this is a teaching that will change the essence of our lives if we absorb and receive the fullness of your mercy and grace and let go of the guilt and shame of our past as you already have done. Help us to accept your grace and mercy during this time so that it would be a time, a moment of healing and transformation. In Jesus' name, amen. Come forward with your paper whenever you're ready. Amen.